Welcome one, welcome all. Welcome to another episode of Fan Team Radio. I am Shyam Khan, joined by my co-host, Chris Odi Odorizzi. Today we're breaking down SPA 2023 with a recap of Oscar and Carlos's unfortunate start, Red Bull's continuing and expected dominance, Alpine's recovery post-Otmar, and where Aston McLaren are at the moment. Chris, what's up? Yeah, heartbreak. Uh, the start of the race uh, for me because I have Carlos and Oscar both on my uh, f- fantasy Formula One team, and unfortunately, they you know, bummer. yeah, big bummer. I uh, I actually just made that change recently too, so super unfortunate. But yeah, they uh, they came together at turn one. Uh, obviously, some controversy around this in terms of kind of who is at fault. Uh, there's a little uh, two sides of the story going on between Oscar and Carlos. And, um, you know, I'm curious about your thoughts on uh, who uh, who was kind of at fault in this incident. Yeah, so if you go back and look at the footage, um, there wasn't a whole lot of room on the inside that Oscar was trying to take in on the apex of the first turn, um, you know, and then you had Carlos to his left, and then to the left of him, you had Hamilton. So Carlos didn't really have too much of a space to give uh, Oscar room. Um, if you go back and listen to, you know, Julian Palmer's breakdown, uh, you know, Piastri didn't really have the uh, the nose room that would justify him taking that position. So when you break it down, you know, ultimately, I think it is a bit of Oscar's fault there uh, with signs, you know, not really having a whole bunch of room himself to give to Oscar on the inside. Uh, But really tricky situation. It seems like, you know, can be chalked up to a racing incident. I don't think there was any uh, malicious intent there from uh, signs aside, Uh, but definitely, you know, the the other part of, you know, the other side of the coin when you want to be aggressive off the off the start. Yeah, I looked at it from uh, multiple perspectives. I, I I watched it a few replays of it, and I have like two schools of thought. Like number one, Carlos came from very far; like he was basically in the middle of the track, and then kind of turned in uh, to the sort of the inside. I mean, there was obviously it's lap one, turn one, so there's a lot of cars, and you have to make the room uh, and and take your line. However, Oscar was. You know, he said he had his wing in there and that he was he was not alongside him. So like I can see why Oscar took that inside line because that's where he was, that's where his car was. But I do think he was a little over aggressive. Once Carlos started taking that turn, he was ahead by a decent amount. I think in order to like declare your your right to that space, you need to be like at least three fourths of the way up on the car. And Oscar was not anywhere near there. And so I think Oscar should have backed out at the apex and let Carlos go. So ultimately I think we can chalk this up to a racing incident with a slight guilt towards Oscar. Um, it's just unfortunate because I was, uh, Oscar was the person I was most anticipating in this race to watch given his uh, performance uh, in the sprint race and sprint qualifying, because Max Verstappen has basically led all, the majority of laps throughout the entire season and all of a sudden, a rookie comes and he leads laps in the race. And it was just a fantastic thing to watch. Uh, so I was super looking forward to his race. And unfortunately, it came to an end uh, very quickly. I think he retired on lap three or four. I can't remember specifically. But it, it, it didn't even really look like the cars had all that much damage. I think there was a, a hole in Carlos's car. But I didn't really see a ton of damage on uh, 
Oscar's car comes super curious ultimately uh, why the car needed to be retired. But either way, it happened and his race was over. And that was that. But, you know, I think he still has a lot of positivity to take from the weekend, just in terms of, you know, he got second in the sprint. They're obviously in a better car. And so uh, we'll keep keep our eye on the rookie for uh, future races to come. Yeah, it was precarious to see him retire the car after just a front nose, um, you know, wing damage. Uh, and then, we, yeah, when you saw Carlos's car, you saw a big gaping hole on the right side, which you can't really repair. It was, you know, painful to see him dropping uh, lap by lap down the, the you know, down the, the, the podium stands. And then also to see, you know, uh, Piastri kind of exit early on in the race uh de- definitely had a lot of high hopes for both of them coming into this race and it was unfortunate to see them go out the way that they did but you know so is uh the the dangers of, of the starting line is is you know if you want to be aggressive then you have to really be measured in, in how aggressive you are especially in the heat of the moment given that all those cars are bunched up together and that you know Checo had a really great uh off the line marker got you know right in front of carlo oh, sorry in front of uh charles and kind of maintained his uh uh pace and then overtook charles so a lot going on in that first couple of uh seconds of the race but um but yeah definitely a week for both oscar and for carlos to forget yeah 100% uh, however, uh, what a great weekend for, uh, you know, not those guys and with Max, like he, this was the first weekend where we had kind of a question mark going on, uh, next to his name started from P6. Like obviously spas track known for a lot of shenanigans happening, especially up El Rouge and him starting kind of in the pack instead of at the front where he can kind of coast away. And we were all sort of like. You know what's going to happen with Max? <laughs> he, you know, gained two places within the first uh, two turns and was sort of in clean air, and then just kind of easy coasting from there. So, unfortunately, that question mark was erased very quickly, and um, yeah, just another expected dominant weekend from him. It's kind of uh, mind blowing to watch. Um, it almost looks like he was in a different league the entire race, just how easy he was coasting um past people especially down the camel straight those red bulls like right on the on the first lap when he got into fourth and sergio got uh into the into the lead they kind of just zoomed by no drs and the performance of that car is uh astonishing just so expected continued dominance from them and uh i just honestly don't see them losing a race for the rest of the season yeah, you know, Verstappen, again, just another masterclass in overtaking and just putting the performance of that Red Bull to work. You know, he, he in lap two, I believe he was only in P4. By lap six, he's already taking Hamilton for P3. By lap nine, he's overtaking Leclerc for P2. By lap 17, you know, as much as Perez tries to put it on him, he gets the DRS and overtakes uh, Perez for, for P1. And then after that, he just gains a 20-second-plus uh, gap to the, you know, uh, interval to the nearest uh, person, which is Perez. It's, uh, you know, it's expected. It's something that, you know, I'd like to think that, this is going to be a one-off year, just like the year uh, 2021 was with Hamilton and Verstappen. But 
I know that that's probably not going to be true. This is probably looking like they're going to carry this dominance into the next year. Even the weeks where they don't look like, you know, they're probably going to have the most performance. Max somehow still pulls out uh, just a, a, a masterclass of not only getting P1, but also getting into, you know, an argument with his uh, with his engineer, uh, Gian Pirlo Lambasi. Some great stuff, really comedic stuff to hear uh, their back and forth. Uh, but yeah, they're essentially in, you know, Max at least is in, um, in such a definitive outlying P1 position that, you know, I I actually am now only paying attention to the back of the back of the pack, which uh, which leaves us open for a couple of conversations. So let's start with uh, Alpine today, Chris. So, you know, fresh off the news of Otmar's departure uh, happening at a, a fairly unorthodox moment right before, you know, a sprint uh, Grand Prix weekend the Friday before. Um, what, what were your initial thoughts from Otmar leaving? Uh, and then who do you think? would be a good uh, person to take that seat. Yeah. I mean, I think you and I both kind of called it uh, last episode or the previous about, you know, once the announcement happened um, with the shakeup at Alpine that anytime there's a major leadership at the top, uh, you know, they're going to sort of take away their, their higher ups, the guard so that they can replace them with their own because they want to, you know, everyone's got their own opinion on how things should be run. So if you're going to change the head, you know, of the ship, you're going to want you they're going to get a new lead and command at all the different posts. So I definitely saw Otmar getting the axe, but I didn't see it happening this fast. Um, I'm curious if maybe some information got leaked or somebody told somebody something and they just sort of made it happen a lot sooner than intentional than planned because this was super quick. And like you said, the Friday before a race weekend, like, you know, that could cause a lot of, you know, morale shift. Your team could be underperforming. Uh, the drivers could be kind of unsure about their futures and all this kind of stuff. So it's, it was a really weird moment, uh, but definitely saw it coming. And as you know, I would really like to see, um, you know, Seb be a team principal at some point. Uh, I think he's got the chops to do it. I'd like to see him back at the sport. Uh, but I know you, uh, you, you, before we got on this call, you talked about uh, Bonotto uh, as a rumor of potentially replacing him. And boy, would I love to see that guy back on track. I, I think he brought so much to the paddock, uh, so much personality. And I'd actually really like to see his talent at uh, an organization that maybe is not so like, I don't know what the word to to bring to the table about Ferrari, but like where he could sort of lead without fear of like the, the prestige or whatever it is of Ferrari, where he could maybe spread his wings a little bit more than he did at that team. Yeah. I mean, you know, rumors circulating and I don't know how much credence to put into it, but initially, you know, Bonotto is considered uh, at least one of the candidates for the open seat. Uh, would love to see Seb in there. That would be an amazing shift for this season's uh, um, F1 uh, kind of drama. But yeah, I think Bonotto coming in, it, you know, it provides uh, a sense of security, uh, you know, at least a sense of direction for the team. Uh, something that I think was missing with Otmar, you know, I think once the Piastri uh, situation happened and then they lost Fernando, uh, I think all, he didn't really have solid backup plans that 
were in routes to a real, you know, success plan overall for that team. I think they were hinging a lot of their successes on Fernando potentially staying and then Oscar coming in as the, as the, you know, the new star and then having that infrastructure that they've built out to be able to support that, you know, I think it all just kind of, it was a, a, a house of crumbling cards, you know, it just kind of fell to his feet. And, uh, and I agree with you. I think a change in enterprise at the top level, just kind of indicates that a change across the entire leadership board. And this, although was uh, a bit, you know, uh, out of left field for me, at least, and I think for, for some others as well, uh, not as, you know, um, as a parent, as the, as the Nick DeVries departure, but I, I think, I think we since this coming, I think the writing was somewhat on the walls, but uh, for it to happen right before a sprint uh, race and then right before uh, a Grand Prix weekend at like the longest track on schedule, uh, it was a little bit weird. Uh, I think Alpine, all things considered, um, had a, a pretty great weekend. And, and and I say great in respects to themselves and not to other uh, uh, to other uh, teams. You know, they, Chris, they, we talked about this a little bit. They've had three double DNFs this season, Australia, in Britain, and in Hungary. That's and, brutal. You know, it, it is. And, 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 and some of those you can chalk it up to bad luck, but you know, this is a really, uh, scrutinous sport. So you can't have too much bad luck. And sometimes you have to put everything in place to prevent yourself from having bad luck. And I think Otmar just wasn't the right person to maybe lead the team in that way. Uh, I'm not, you know, the job of a team principal is incredibly tough and there's not that many people out there that can do it. So I'd be curious to see who they have coming in, uh, to replace, uh, Otmar, but, but I think all things considered this, this week was, was a relative win for Alpine also considering that, you know, Gasly and, uh, Akon provided us with probably two of the best, um, uh, passes of the, of the race, you know, in, in lap 33, Gasly overtakes Albon on the outside for P11, which is a great move, especially considering the race that Alex was having. And then in lap 35, you know, Julian Palmer kind of shouted out when Ocon uh, overtakes Tsunoda on the inside for that P9 spot. Just really, really, really great racing from two guys that, you know, are, you know, they're, 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 uh, they're capable drivers. They might not be, you know, those, those shining drivers that you put an entire organization behind and go compete for world championship. But I think all things considered, it was a stable and positive week for Alpine coming out of the fact that they just lost their team principal uh, pretty unexpectedly. Yeah. I mean, like you said, relatives to themselves um, that, you know, they did perform like I, they could have easily fallen apart a little bit more than they did. Uh, and they did get a few points on the board. Um, so I'm definitely going to be watching, especially super scrutinous, like you said, with how they're going to perform in the back half of the season with the leadership change, uh, you know, with the new investment behind them and see what happens. Because I do think that, like we've talked about them before with Gasly and Ocon, like they're both capable drivers. I don't think either of them are like future, you know, WDC champion leading the pack with the kind of talent that we have on the grid today. But they are definitely both uh, capable. They're both. Um, you know, previous race winners, they do good overtakes. They are aggressive at times. And so I'm, I'm super curious to, to see like they, them being able to potentially lead the midfield fight with McLaren. Um, I, they're definitely a good team. I just want to, you know, I'm super curious how they're going to end up, but 
uh, yeah, it could have been a lot worse today. So we'll see. We'll see where they end up at the end of the year. Yeah. And, you know, Alpine success and, uh, you know, failures are also in direct, you know, responses to the teams that they're, you know, uh, allegedly, you know, up against, which are Aston Martin and McLaren. So let's talk about them for a moment, Chris. Aston Martin and McLaren, you know, Aston had a really great start of the year, uh, really uh, caught everyone's eye. It seemed like my crack had all the answers to, you know, how to at least get their team into P2 position. Um, and then we see them uh, plateau a bit in the, in the past couple of weeks, probably three to four weeks they've, they've plateaued and uh, ha- haven't been, you know, uh, vying for, uh, for podiums. And then on the flip side, you have McLaren who recently in the past two to three weeks uh, have seen an uptick, but then also plateaued out somewhat in this past race. So my question to you, Chris, is with both Aston Martin and McLaren more or less copying certain aspects of Red Bull's design and 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 kind of the blueprint to what the perfect car for this season looks like. Do you think that limits them uh, from getting enhancements and performances uh, or performance enhancements in those upgrades uh, than a team like you know Mercedes or Ferrari who essentially write their own playbook and have the resources to figure out a roadmap for a car that works for them, as opposed to having to rely on design, you know, uh, inspirations fully from Red Bull. Do you think, you know, having that level of understanding of your design and your bespoke kind of, you know, metrics is going to be the big divide between Mercedes and Ferrari and Red Bull from Aston Martin and McLaren, or do you think McLaren and Aston Martin have something here that will help them get back, you know, into, into fighting for P2, P3 in the second half of the year? Yeah, I think you, you said it best a few episodes ago, we talked about um, sort of the technicality and the engineering behind the sport and how the design philosophy of a car like works from the front wing to the back of, you know, the tip of the front wing to the back of the back wing, the rear wing. And, you know, if you copy design elements of the car, you copy the philosophy and you're only copying, you know, kind of what you see and what you can understand, you might be missing like a key component to how that car ultimately performs. And look, some of these teams like McLaren having the big jump up and Aston Martin kind of building off potentially what Red Bull looked and did last year, you know, they're able to have that kind of jump in performance over the rest, like, but it's almost a little bit misleading because, you know, maybe Aston Martin got it like half right while other teams were experimenting and getting it wrong, but they're trying to understand their design, their model and their philosophy. But like Adrian Newey's designing the Red Bull and he already has it fast and people are copying that. And Adrian's, they're worried about making what Red Bull looks like today. And Adrian's already thinking about what the Red Bull looks like you know, the second half of the year and next year. So while these other teams are building the car to get a pace advantage, as soon as those updates come for the Red Bull, they're behind the curve again. And as soon as Mercedes figures out, you know, their zero pod, they add the side pods a little bit, the half pods, and they, you know, make a few more modifications and get their speed up. All of a sudden, Aston Martin, and you know, is where the Red Bull was at the beginning of the season and everyone else has jumped up. And ultimately I kind of think that's what happened. And now they're sitting there stuck 
wondering how do we update this? Do they have to wait for the updates to come from Red Bull? Wait to get another crash from Perez, get the car lifted on a crane and see what the underside looks like now in order to make their updates? That's the problem with like copying someone's work is you don't understand the philosophy from the get-go and why that was designed in the first place. So ultimately, I think that that we're kind of seeing that slump from them. And I do think there's something in kind of coming up with your design and building it. So um, I'm a little bit worried about these teams and their future, where they're going to end up, if they're going to kind of just drift to the back. Um, but my big note is I really wish that everybody would stop calling them upgrades because they're never guaranteed to be just that. I think they just need to be called updates or changes or whatever they got to do because upgrades are have this inherent, you know, in uh, result of being faster. And a lot of the times, sometimes they go backwards. I think at the beginning of this race, I heard that McLaren actually added even more updates to their car. And I, after they did to a detriment. Yeah, it might have been to a detriment. They might have been a little bit slower. Maybe they change it and go back to last week's race car and see what that goes back to for the next race. Who knows? But yeah, ultimately, like you said, you put it beautifully, like the car works as a whole and not like as a piece to piece kind of thing. So, you know, uh, I really hope some of these teams can can hone in and improve their own race car in the future. Yeah, uh, you know, the the thought of, you know, copying and, and getting the foundation is, um, you know, you, you do what it takes to get into a position of success, but yeah, I think the, the greater piece of it that that's fortified Mercedes and, and even Ferrari, you know, all things kind of considered in the past couple of years and, and, uh, and Red Bull for sure is, is that these three teams, uh, they're, they're innovators, you know, whether for good or for bad, uh, they hinge a lot of their success and their, you know, kind of dynasties on the fact that they can innovate and 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 keep things internal. And while everyone is borrowing ideas from one another, you know, they don't lead with uh, copy first and then, you know, innovate second. It's always innovate first and then we'll take a few, you know, spare ideas and and try to you know, introduce it into our own. Uh, I think that's going to be what s- sets up teams for success. But even to get to that point, I think you need like a bedlam of of g- like a good track record, uh, no pun intended, uh, which, you know, Aston Martin and McLaren. McLaren, I guess, less so than Aston Martin. So I, I would expect McLaren to have the resources and have the mindset to, you know, kind of come back. Uh, so they are, you know, a legacy team. I don't see why they wouldn't be able to just kind of, you know, build a car based on their own intel and merits and, and, you know, not really have to rely on uh red bull, you know, kind of designs and, and, and things to that effect. So um yeah, definitely uh, um, a crux that they're going to have to cross at a certain point to get to uh red bull and the consistency of red bull and Mercedes and, and, and even Ferrari. Um, so yeah, the one uh compliment I have had to give for Ferrari this whole year. You, you know what though? If, if anybody's going to copy anybody from now on, every team, and I mean every team, needs to copy Mercedes because that car is built like a rock. <laughs> I've seen Lewis getting, like, you know, Max crashed into the back of Lewis and, and Jetta or whatever it was in, in right before Abu Dhabi in 2021. And, like, his wing exploded. There was fiberglass everywhere, carbon fiber. 
And I was just like, oh, my God, the championship's over. That's it. And then I think Lewis won that race. And I was like, how is that even possible? And then I keep seeing him get bumped over and over, bumping other people, doing this. And they just keep on trucking. And then Oscar and Carlos come together. What seemed like a very innocent bump and DNF them both. So whoever uh, is designing the structure of that Mercedes needs a huge raise. And uh, everyone needs to take a hint from that. So. Yeah, well, I also think it's a little bit of George and and uh, Lewis being a bit more conservative with a car that they know isn't going to, you know, even if they push it to the red line, it's not going to compete with Red Bull. Uh, I think it's just a, a cultural thing, right? I think we talked about this really early on in in, uh, in, in the season is just the cultural differences between a, a team like Mercedes and Red Bull and Ferrari and the rest. Um, you know, granted, Ferrari ha- Ferrari's culture does work towards his detriment at times, but, you know, something like Mercedes, you know, bringing James Allison back into uh, the, 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 the field, the, like the CTO role essentially, and, and making him uh, oversee the car as, as, as he used to, you know, we're starting to see what those benefits look like. Um, Definitely not going to happen all this year. And, and, you know, I think they're definitely working more towards their 2026 car when the rules change again. Uh, But, you know, all to say, you know, th- th- there's two branches of thought or three, if you consider bottom of the pack, which is, you know, innovate at the top, copy, and then get to a point of innovation in the middle, and then damage control at the bottom, uh, which is, you know, you, you see with, with the Williams and the Haases of the world. So, uh, yeah, I, I always like to think that Alpine, you know, probably has a shot of being that next team to make a quick spark in the in the in the pan uh and maybe show up and and catch another podium uh on a regular race week um but uh but yeah we'll see what happens with the rest of uh aston martin and mclaren season in uh, the second half of the year uh let's turn our attention to our winners losers and our hot seats who do you have for your winners this week chris uh, I mean, it wouldn't be race week without having Max at the top of my winners list, just because um, the man every weekend is continually setting records, and he is now the lone second place guy for uh, wins in a row at eight, uh, and the only person in front of him is Sebastian Vettel with nine. So, you know, after the summer break, if he can take it, if he can take the victory at in uh, you know his other home race at Zanvoort, then uh, he's going to tie Sebastian. And then, you know, barring any kind of crazy shenanigans, I think he's going to surpass it and potentially make it an unbreakable record because his performance is, is unreal. Like when he was released from the pits, uh, lap 15 or 16, he was, uh, I think Martin Brundle was talking about it. He was like lifting and coasting, uh, catching up to Perez. Like Perez is going all out trying to get around, you know, to the pit straight into the first turn. And Max is just lifting so he doesn't run into him because he wants to get DRS, you know, after a rouge up to the Kemmel straight. And it's just like the guy is basically going slow on purpose just to pass him because he doesn't want to bump into him. And that kind of performance is just a little insane. And so, you know, now that he's now that he's done as much as he's done, I kind of just want to see him going like it's already it's already locked he's going to win the championship, you know, barring him breaking a bone or something. And so I want to see him just continue smashing these things just because it's kind of 
a pleasure to watch greatness happen, uh, even if people sometimes don't like the guy. But um, and I, any more banter between him and GP is going to be awesome. So I'm looking forward to that. And then uh, and then I have Lewis just because Lewis kind of had a little bit of a rough patch, uh, especially after Abu Dhabi. He, you know, he struggled a lot and he seems to be both back, you know, back to his old racing self. And he just seems to be kind of happy all the time now. He kind of seems to be at peace with where he is. Uh, he's no longer, you know, last year was super, super rough on him. Like, you know, getting out of his car and holding his back and just talking about how awful it was to drive. And now he's got a smile on his face and he's always positive. He's never been negative lately. And he's consistently putting himself above George, which, you know, last year and at the start of the season, George was outperforming him a lot. And now he's just consistently putting himself in front of them, fighting for podiums, consistently getting fourth. And um, I definitely see with that car getting a little bit better, Lewis uh, putting it, you know, if if they can get anywhere near to the Red Bulls performance, I definitely think we could be in a repeat for 2021 with Max versus Lewis. But yeah, and then I'll just give a slight nod to, to Charles being back in the podium because I like seeing that guy happy and not sad. Nobody in a Ferrari should ever be sad. Nobody in a Ferrari should ever be sad is um, <laughs> what's going to go on my headstone whenever I kick the bucket. Uh, so my winners for this week are uh, Alpine. Uh, you know, again, relative to what they've been doing this year, I think this was a good week for them. Uh, great overtakes from both Gasly and uh, Esteban. Uh, I'm also going to put Yuki. Uh, came in at P10, got some points, had a really strong race today, you know, contending against um, uh, Albon for P9 around lap two. Um, uh, then again, you know, in lap 23, he overtakes Pierre for P6, uh, and then, you know, uh, gets overtaken in, in, in lap 35 by Ocon, but puts up a damn good fight and, you know, gets into the points really, you know, creates that gap between himself and Danny Ricardo. Uh, it's amazing to see how Danny Ricardo's presence has not only, you know, uh, gotten Yuki to perform better, but also got. Checo Perez to perform better. It will, Much will be better. my third uh, winner for this week as Checo. You know, yeah, he, you know, he didn't keep Max at bay by any means, uh, but, you know, he did his job. He got into P2. He qualified well. Um, and, you know, he really gave the the, the team the what, what they were looking for, essentially, at the end of the day, as a driver that couldn't put the car into P2. Uh, so definitely, you know, Back in the good graces, uh, or at least starting to be back in the good graces of Christian Horner and Helmut Marco, I hope. Uh, so yeah, Danny Ricardo's presence is just cascading throughout the Red Bull organization. Um, losers for the week, I'm gonna say Williams' three stop strategy just was not in the cards for them this week for do doing a three stop. Actually, ended up holding. Alex back from getting some sort of points or at least near the points. He was having a really great race. So it's tough to see Williams do a three-stop strategy there. And, and ultimately uh, Albon was the one that kind of suffered from it. Uh, I think if they were to have stayed in that, you know, on mediums and switched to softs or something to that effect, I think Alex does a really good job of, uh, you know, keeping tired deck down. So I would have loved to have seen something to that effect, but, you know, the, the three-stop strategy just wasn't there for them. Uh, Otmar, my loser for the week as well. You know, tough to see him go as much as I don't think he's uh, team principal material. 
Uh, I definitely think that, you know, he deserves a spot in F1 with another team, uh, maybe, uh, you know, as another role. Um, and then, you know, uh, Oscar Piastri and Carlos Sainz, both on the loser list. They kind of just canceled each other out at the start of the race, had a lot of high hopes for both of them, but uh, definitely want to see them back uh, in the second half of the year and, and want to see, you know, how they compete against each other um, on a clean race day. Uh, who you got for your losers, Chris? Yeah, I mean, first up is uh, I'm going to put Daniel Ricciardo up there just because you uh-huh. know, he, came, he came back strong and had a lot of publicity around him, reporters following him everywhere. And, you know, he had a little bit of an incident in the race in Hungary and, and you know, still put it up into a position where he theoretically could have gotten points on his debut return um, if he hadn't had that incident of his performance. And then this race, he just kind of was dominated by Yuki and kind of nowhere land. Wasn't talk, talked about much in the race um, and no major incidents or anything to like, you know, give him a little bit of an excuse for why he was there. Just kind of pure performance based, just was in nowhere land. And, you know, I'm not going to say he's uh, I'm not going to jump to conclusions to say he's done and all that kind of stuff yet, because I want to see him perform. He's still getting to grips with the car. Obviously, the Alpha Tori is not the best car on the grid right now. And so. There's a little bit of that, but, you know, Yuki got a point and, you know, Daniel is sitting in P16 with two retirements. So, you know, the the third worst on the grid. So because if, you know, Carlos and Oscar would have been in the race, he would have been at least P18. So, um, you know, who knows? Like, I, I want to see him put a little bit more. But like you said, it gave a little bit of incentive to Yuki and to Checo. And they're both, uh, you know, putting up now that he's there. So and, and I really want to mention that. You know, Ricardo's here for the Red Bull seat, but there's no way he's getting the Red Bull seat unless he, like, dominates. Like, he needs to beat Yuki in dominant fashion, put him to his alert, and, like, show that, like, it's not the car. Like, if it was, if he was in that Red Bull, he'd be putting it on the podium with Max every weekend. And at the current position, I just don't see that happening. And then uh, I'm going to put Haas up there just because they haven't scored a point since Baku. And I, you know, we don't really see them much. And then I forget if it was in the sprint in the actual race, there was a moment where Magnuson was kind of arguing with his engineer and he was trying to give advice to him. And you could just tell his engineer was just like, shut up, leave me alone. Like, we're not making points. We don't need to think outside the box, just race your race and finish it. And it just, I was almost like embarrassed to listen to the conversation just because it, Made me feel like, you know, Maxson actually wanted to try and nobody has like the morale is just super low in that team. So, yeah, just Ricardo has a lot of uh, work to do and uh, Haas needs a major shakeup, probably an Alpine level shakeup to be anywhere that they want to be on the grid. Yeah, no uh, lies detected there. I also do not think Haas is having a wonderful season. I feel for K-Mag and mostly for Hulkenberg, who, you know, the guy tries his best uh, during every sprint race. He, I think he actually recorded a, the fastest lap uh, at one point this, uh, this, this race as well. But, you know, he keeps consistently coming in P18 and P19. So uh, not, not really sure what's going to happen with Haas going into the second half of this year. Um, for Who do you got for your hot seats, Chris? Uh, my hot seat is going to be a little curveball this week. And my hot seat is going to be sprint races in general, just because, again, this is another instance where the sprint race was like 
decently interesting to watch because of Oscar Piastri, you know, t- taking the lead, leading a few laps, the and the the safety car comes out and ultimately, you know, who knows? I think Max still probably wins, but anything might have happened. He had a decent lead. But after the race started, uh, right before we were getting ready to to talk about it, I was like, wait, what happened in the sprint? I don't remember. And I had to go back. The only thing that I remembered was that Oscar led for a couple laps and the whole thing just completely banked. They just and you see a lot of it from the drivers and, and the organizations too. They don't put a lot of thought into it. Oscar was even uh when he got second place and he was being interviewed, he's like, I don't know what to call this. It's not a podium, it's I don't know what it is. And like you, he's not even that really happy to be P2 in the sprint race. So uh, like obviously they're they're glad to get the points. It, it, the system is what it is, and they're gonna they're gonna perform and do what they have to do. But it just doesn't seem to be that big of a hit from like fans and drivers. So uh, I don't I don't anticipate they're gonna stop anytime soon. But I definitely think it's not the ultimate solution of what they should be doing. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there, Chris. I don't think it's fully fleshed out or thought out i don't understand why there's five formation laps and then <laughs> 11 uh real actual laps and then one and a half hours of delay leading into it uh, it's it and then i think you had mentioned this a few weeks ago chris that there is a a severe disconnect between what happens on a sprint weekend and what happens in, in relation to the whole grand prix you know like it there's a qualifying and then the sprint is like sandwiched in the middle and then is grand prix. And then, and you really don't appreciate that, that lodge in the middle, you know, you can't really appreciate that sprint race for what it is. Um, And so I think there's a lot of fine tuning that still needs to be done. It doesn't make any sense if you're trying to, you know, go, you know, net neutral and green and, 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 and save on your resources to have a, a race log jammed in the middle uh, like not even a full race, you know, it's like a semi quasi race. Uh, it just, it doesn't make any sense. If spa is meant to have this kind of, uh, you know, uh, weather and climate, that's really hard to nail down at any given time. Why have a sprint race there? You know, why not just have it somewhere like in the desert when, you know, you know, for sure, it's just going to be really hot, uh, and consistent and you know what to expect and you know you know the teams know how to prepare at least give like 20 laps on a race to 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 let us see or let you know like at least one of the 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 backup drivers i don't know there's a lot that still needs to be left to to refine with sprint races in my opinion i feel like you're probably in, in, a, in a very similar boat um my hot seat for this week is logan Sargent. um you know when when Nick DeVries was still in seat, it was easy to kind of overlook uh, Logan's uh, lack of performance and kind of just really lean into uh, Nick and 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 see him out. Uh, but then you know with the recent uprise of what Oscar's doing, I think it's really putting a bit of heat on Logan Sargent to be able to at least get near the points, you know, on a consistent basis. Um, the Williams again, you know, had promise for straight line speed. Uh, Logan wasn't really able to tap into that the same way that Alex was, uh, this, this, this weekend. And I also don't think, you know, the, the compounding reasons of him not really being a personality, someone that, you know, has other things going for him, uh, in the sport. Uh, I think he just kind of, uh, uh, just 
a stand-in almost seems like. What are your thoughts on Logan Sargent here, Chris? Yeah, I mean, we talked about it a little bit uh, last race before about how he he kind of doesn't embody the you know the American driver persona. He's not like huge on social. He's not pushing his marketability, and then on top of that, he's you know always at the very back of the grid. Um, he does seem at times to like you know thinking about how to try to improve his race, um, but ultimately, I just don't think his talent is there. And then his marketability is not there. So I'm kind of in this like weird spot where I can't really decide who would replace him. And so I kind of feel like they're going to give him a second season just because he is the only American driver on the grid. Maybe he'll perform a little bit better next year. But I definitely think he's in trouble. I definitely put him in the hot seat with you. I don't like I think if there is another capable driver that needs the seat, they'll consider it. And it's something to, to, to definitely think over over the summer break, what's going to happen with him. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely see like he's given a little bit of slack just because he is that rookie, um, but he's definitely replaceable. And, you know, I, f- I feel for the guy, but you know, he's also in uh, one of the 20 coveted seats in the world of the best 20 drivers. And, you know, if you're not one of those, it's it's time to go. And Nick DeVries is uh, the result of that. And I think he's next on the chopping block. Yeah, I I think he'll have at least one more season, one and a half more seasons, just given the fact that the driver pool isn't super, you know, deep right now, especially for the the Williams Drivers Academy side of things. But, you know, it, it's not to say that someone like Nick can't come in and and you know uh get get put into that position if um Logan's lack of performance continues. So something to keep an eye on, you know, is, is Logan Sargent, is he going to be, you know, uh, the person that, that puts America on his back and, and takes us to the promised land, or do we need to wait for, uh, for someone else to kind of come along? It was, uh, let's talk about, yeah. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say real quick. It was, it's one of those moments where when Mazepin was in the sport and they were racing in Russia and like, there was some talk about, you know, like how everybody was anticipating Mazepin coming to Russia and how, how much sport he gets in the country. And I was just thinking in the back of my head about, you know, the guy's going to be in P20 getting lapped twice and how, you know, is they, do they really support him? So I'm, I'm kind of curious about the reception of Logan Sargent, you know, at, in Vegas. Like I know we have Austin and Miami, but like Vegas is going to be the spotlight uh american race this year and i'm kind of curious if there's any kind of push uh for logan Sargent there if there's any kind of extra marketing around him uh or anything like that but ultimately you know maybe not just because he is going to be on the back of the grid but it's definitely something to look out for and hopefully by then we'll, we'll know uh his future in the sport for next year as well uh yeah i mean i didn't see a whole lot uh specifically for him uh in miami uh, I guess we'll both be able to see for ourselves in Austin if, if there's going to be some extra marketing around him. My thing is, you know, if you're already not inherently marketable yourself, uh, it's hard for other uh, companies to even come in and, and kind of swell that up for you. Uh, you know, Danny Ricardo, he already had a, a really personable like demeanor and, you know, he he had a a, a, a term of success that, you know, coupled together made him really marketable. Uh, Max Verstappen, he he doesn't even need a personality. He just needs to keep doing what he's doing. And he's 
by default marketable just given the sheer fact that he's undisputed number one lewis you know he has the whole fashion kind of uh piece of his uh persona that that lends him really well to marketing and and to high-end you know fashion brands as well and then you know you have other people out there that could potentially bring in dollars and cents like uh, you know like joe guan yu does with china but but there's really nothing there from coming from Logan uh, in terms of marketability. So yeah, well, you know, I'm curious to see if that's going to be something that comes into play in his sophomore year. But right now, putting him in the hot seat, hopefully he has a second better half of the year. Let's look into predictions for next race. It's going to be in Netherlands. Um, who do you got in your podium for that race, Chris? Yeah, I just uh, I don't see Max losing. Not only uh, would betting against him be incredibly stupid but it's also his second home race uh you know born in belgium but you know lived his his uh, youth in the netherlands and uh i think you know he's gonna tie seb's record there it's gonna be full of a bunch of orange smoke that nobody else can see and uh yeah i think he's gonna be him and i'm gonna put uh i think lewis's rise is coming back and i definitely want to see him back on the podium so i definitely like i think the I think the Mercedes struggles with straight line and Zambort's a really tight track. So I think hopefully that Mercedes can show its little glory there. And then I'm ready for Oscar Pastry to finally get a podium. And I think he's had a couple of incidents, bad luck, uh, especially today. But I think his pace is there and I think the car could be there. So I'm going to say Max Hamilton and Piastri. How about yourself? Yeah, I mean, I would love to see Lewis uh, bring it in. Um I think given how easily Checo was able to pass up uh, Charles and then how easily uh, Max was able to pass up Lewis, uh, I think barring Checo having a um, a mishap in qualifying or something to that effect, my top three are going to be Max, Charles, and Checo. Um, it's just hard to see how anyone's going to be able to overtake um those Red Bulls, especially given that the Netherlands have that really long straightaway, about two or three of them, really. So it's just going to be, you know, tough to pass them up on those straightaway in the DRS zone. So, yeah, I got the Red Bulls in P1, P3, and then uh, Leclerc uh, splitting the two. Yeah, I definitely could see that, too. Um, Perez does look to be back on form. Um, there's just a few. There's a, the the back half of the track is a little turny and windy, a little bit technical. So more chances for press loses his faith in the car as he's had a couple shakeups, but yeah, if he is back on form and getting back in that flow state of driving the red bull, he, I don't see him missing another podium. If he's, uh, you know, if he's back and then I'll, I'll always love Charles on the podium. Um, but signs, signs have been performing too. He's definitely a candidate up there as well, but yeah, definitely looking forward to, other ones, it's one of my favorite tracks. It's kind of like a a go-kart track that F1 cars drive on. Um, so it's really fun to watch. And uh, it's going to be a huge crowd for Max. Like I said, full of orange smoke. But, yeah, we do have a little bit of a break uh, until then. So hopefully we'll get, uh, we'll get to talk a little bit about silly season that's already kind of been unfolding over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, they're taking a lot of material away from us already. But we'll do our best to, you know, put put something up there and see if any of it sticks uh and if so uh we'll really know we're meant for this and if not then we'll quit immediately but <laughs> but you know for i will say this though chris 
we've had a streak of not so exciting races. Yeah. They've been kind of, you know, bland-ish, uh, all, you know, given that that the start of the year in Australia, damn near like seven cars DNF'd. So th- what do you, do you think, do you think that there's going to be an uptick in excitement? Like this is just speculative, but what do you think the second half of the year has for us? Yeah, this is a interesting take just because um, I came in in 2021. That was my first full year of watching F1. And that was the golden year, right? That was the Max versus Hamilton just super year. And, you know, I've gone back and watched other seasons. And, you know, we had a little bit of that in 22. But, uh, you know, from some longtime F1 fans, this is kind of the norm I've heard. You know, it's just it, you know, usually there's a dominant team. There's a dominant racer. We've had Hamilton dominance for years then Schumacher before and Seb had his years of dominance and you kind of just have a dominant team taking it um taking around I mean the reliability today is also just so much better which tends to take away some of the excitement with uh to, with DNFs with crashes and things of that nature so yeah it's a it, we have had a little bit of a string of just kind of couple good overtakes on a race of 50 to 70 laps and max dominating so um you know i don't know what the second half of the season is going to hold i think we're going to kind of get more of the same um what and it might potentially be this way until 26 when we get the full regulation change but hopefully the other cars can kind of bring it up and i'd like to see people yeah I, you know what i'd really like to see is i'd like to see the other teams the behind the bulls being way more aggressive at trying to compete for podiums and taking risks that they normally wouldn't take, um, you know, that might lead to crash here and there. But uh, but we did see a couple of crazy moves today. I don't know if you saw that one stroll overtake from like super far back today. Uh, and yeah. I want to see I want to see more of that. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, this is just kind of the nature of F one. Sometimes this happens, um, and I think I think it's going to be kind of the status quo for the rest of the season. Um, but hopefully next year we'll be able to get a lot more uh, shakeup with the drivers, with the cars, and uh, start off with a crazy, crazy start to the next season. Yeah, and then also the introduction of Audi is probably going to be something that helps shake up things a little bit. Uh, but, you know, all good things to look forward to. We're off for a couple of weeks, but we'll definitely bring in a silly season episode uh, so everyone can stay tuned. Um, if nothing else, Chris, Arrivederci. Arrivederci, yeah. The forward to it and yeah enjoy the break and we'll uh see you for some silly season bye everybody yeah